Welcome to Breakfast with Karen. We're so happy you're all here this morning. We welcome you. Thank you for taking your time out this morning to join with us. We love to see your faces from across the country. We are in our third of the three-week series with Breakfast with Karen. Breakfast with Karen is a live webinar series for all women. We present it in between the eight-week trainings that Karen does for mom power training. We'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment. We're really excited today, though, in our last series of the webinar, to have Allie Hayward with us with Silently Surviving Souls. We're so happy she's here with us today, and we can't wait for you to meet her. Next Tuesday, June 11th, our Mom Power Training class starts, the new eight-week series. I hope that you'll go to mompowertraining.com and check out the registration information. Also check out the topics page so you can go and see the classes that Karen is teaching. Mom Power Training is a training for every mother, for mothers to be able to stand in a peaceful place despite the storms of life. And over, over a decade of Karen teaching classes and trainings and mentoring women, she developed and created this course along with her experience with teaching Eternal Warriors training to be able to present this as a training specifically for women. And so we hope that you'll take a chance to look at that information and join with us. Take the time to meet eight Tuesdays in the morning at 9 a.m. Mountain Time online, and we'll love to see you there. Check it out. You can come just for one time and see how it is and decide if you want to keep going but we'd like to see every mom possible. So share with your friends as well. Some of the things that Mom Power teaches is, is it increases your peace and your spiritual routines. It builds stronger bonds in your family relationships. It increases your ability to center your life in Christ. It fortifies your divine identity and your purpose. It empowers you to recognize and defeat the tactics of the adversary. And it increases your faith in your faith community. It builds your faith community and it creates a group support system with like-minded women. This is one of the great parts of mom power training is you truly gain a new group of friends who think a lot like you do and you learn a lot from each other. It gives you the ability to stand with peace and courage in any storm. To register, please go to mompowertraining.com. Okay, Karen, I'm going to turn the time back to you to introduce Allie and tell us a little bit more about what we'll be doing today. Good morning and welcome to Breakfast with Karen. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for you to meet Allie. I really hadn't met Allie personally till last night and we were able to visit and talk about our topic today and it was just obvious just in our meeting that the spirit was strong and I'm so grateful for her vulnerability and her willingness to do what she does to serve so many people that she's heard a call. I often say, you know, your mess becomes your message. She's willing to say, I'm going to use this opportunity, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like an opportunity to us personally when we're going through it. I'm going to use this journey to also enlist other people in the same kind of hope and healing I want. Allie just recently moved, and I'm going to let her tell you all about herself and her family and where she lives and what they're up to. But just so you know, her site is silentlysurvivingsouls.com, and I strongly recommend that you go and check that out. I've read lots of the blog posts on her site as well as her story. Also, I've 
heard a couple podcasts that she's been on. We are just so thrilled and so lucky to have you here today, Allie. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. We're just a bunch of gals trying to do exactly what each other's trying to do, right? Everybody's just doing their best. And so when somebody's willing to say, this is kind of what it looks like where I really live, it just allows everybody to kind of come up a level because they feel understood and seen. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about just your life and your family and where you're at in your life and some of the things you like to do and things like that. My husband and I, we just moved to Texas because my husband is starting MBA school next week and then he starts med school in the fall. So he is doing a dual degree at Texas Tech. So he'll be here for four years. And so far it's been an adventure just the past few days, but it's been good. And um, I'm excited for this adventure. We have two little girls. They are four and two. And I'm also expecting our third. I'm halfway through that pregnancy. So growing our family is exciting as well. We love having our beautiful girls. We don't know the gender of this baby. We're those weird people that don't find out the gender until they're born. So we like to keep it a surprise. It's kind of fun for us that way. I graduated from Weber State University in athletic therapy. I love sports. We're pretty hardcore jazz fans and going to stay that way even though we're in Texas now. And we like doing things outdoors. I grew up boating and snowmobiling and camping. And I love chocolate chip cookies. I will never say no to a chocolate chip cookie. One of my favorite things. And I'll be talking about today. I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression while I was serving my mission. And uh, I have been home for about seven years now. I served in the Texas McAllen Mission, which is nowhere close to where I'm living now. It's on the tip of Texas, like right by the border of Mexico. Okay. Well, I know that everybody's life is going to be affected by this issue, anxiety and depression. And it seems to be more prevalent now among the people that we love. I think that even if you are just looking around at people, it's just around. Everybody's life is going to be affected with it. This is what Allie's mom says about Allie. She said, She's fun. She's outgoing. She has a strong testimony and belief in the gospel. She finds it easy to talk to people. She's got a winning attitude and she's always, has always been a social butterfly and made friends easily. So just looking at somebody, you can't tell that they're suffering with anxiety and depression. Yeah, it's very true. Well, even after I got diagnosed on my mission, ended up coming home after serving for 11 months. I had members from my mission message me and just say like, I had no idea that this is what you were going through. And that's part of the experience. I don't think people, I didn't want people to know what I was going through, one. And just, you know, I wanted to still be that, yeah, happy, outgoing person to everybody else because I didn't, I didn't want them to know what I was experiencing and what I was going through. And so it is, I think, not maybe necessarily easy. It can be easy to kind of cover that up, to kind of hide the struggles that you're going through and to put on like a face uh, for everyone around you to let them, you know, to show that you're still strong and that you don't struggle with something. And so it is, it's easy to hide because the alternative isn't as fun. I don't think to show 
you know, the mess that you're going through and the, and the hard things that you're going through. At least that's how I felt in the beginning. I've since changed that perspective a little bit, but that's definitely how I felt at first. And even since talking about it a little bit more, there's been people that have come up to me and said, yeah, I struggle with the same thing that I also never would have known struggled with it because they seemed, you know, normal on the outside as well. So I think, yeah, you just never know what people are going through. Yeah, so true. One of my closest family members, I knew they were struggling or that they had struggled, but at the level that they're struggling, like just recently he said, I need you to understand this is where I'm at. This is what I can do and what I can't do. But to me, I just thought they can do that. So it was really helpful to just hear this is where I'm at. This is what what you think I can do, but this this is how that affects me. So I'd really rather not do that. Well, and one thing that I kind of, I guess, learned is that it's like I don't necessarily expect people to understand what I'm going through, but I do expect them to accept what I'm going through. Yeah. Okay, and how can somebody show the difference between that? Because that's a tricky line. It is. It's a very fine line. And... I would say that it it just takes time and patience and love and because kind of like we talked about last night, mental illness is always evolving as your life changes and as things happen. And so it does, it just takes time and practice. And I think just always being there for that person, um, whatever that looks like, if it's just sitting with them, if it's talking with them, if it's just letting them know that you're there, you know, saying like, what can I do to help? What can I do for you? And just, yeah, being patient because sometimes we don't even know what we need, which is just so frustrating. Like sometimes it's like, I don't even know what I need right now to help me. Just letting them know that you're kind of struggling, I think is the biggest step and the biggest way that they can then just at least be aware that you're going through something. Because you're so awesome. And you got on a mission, right? And you knew, I'm a capable person. I do really capable things. And you're supposed to be not just using all those capabilities and your desire to serve and love God. And then all of a sudden, something starts happening to you. Because I think with a mental illness, physically, you see, like, I am exactly the same person. And you know exactly how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to feel but you you aren't and what a terrifying place to find out and go through all of that there on your mission yeah it it was I feel like it was a blessing and a curse at the same time I feel like it was a blessing because I was forced to get help Um, Whereas if I would have been home, just like going to college or something that I would have been on my own. Whereas that one on my mission, I had a companion who saw all the things that I was going through and experiencing. And so I was kind of more so forced to get help. And the way that my illness, I guess, kind of manifest itself was more so physically at first. Like I, I would throw up, I would wake up in the middle of the night, not being able to breathe, which I later learned were panic attacks. And so I just had these physical symptoms and it was like, something is wrong with me. I thought it was like my heart or something. And so I went into the doctor multiple times. And then like the third visit, I think it was after he had like done tests and stuff, 
he's like, you have anxiety and depression. And I remember sitting in his office just being like, wait a minute. No, I'm physically sick. Like there's something physically wrong with me. It's not my brain. And I just didn't know how connected those things were and how much your mental health could affect your physical health. And so then, yeah, after that, I, you know, jumped into the medication and tried to find something that would work for me. And so it was a blessing in the sense that it did, like I I had to get, or I was forced to get help because I wanted to stay on my mission. But then at the same time, it was just, I felt so bad for my, my dear sweet companion. And we're still actually really good friends. Bless her heart. I love her so much. She helped me through, yeah, one of the hardest times in life. And I don't feel like 21, 22-year-olds should have to, you know, figure that out with another person. But um, she did an amazing job going through that with me. And, yeah, just being in a different place and away from family, like, it was hard not to be able to communicate very well with my family and my parents and and things like that. So it was was hard in that sense that I was away from family and support and being there and just like, yeah, being away from family and then also just like having to still be a missionary and still like have to get up and go out and study and do all of that stuff as well made it hard because I was like, I just, I just need to breathe. And I felt like I couldn't really do that. I know that a lot of times, like, especially if you're a mother or mission president or just the individual going through it, you're noticing that your kids are going through something or even your spouse, you might think, well, they're just being grumpy. They're just being a teenager. Knowing when it's time to just go and say, what's wrong? Or do we need some support? Or do we need a resource? Or what's happening here? Just that alone, it sounds like when yours started manifesting itself, it was really obviously kind of like you had things that came up that were a big deal. And it seemed like you were physically sick. Something was wrong with your body. Yep. So when did you notice that, because it kind of sounds like the anxiety showed up, but not so much the depression? Yeah, it was definitely the anxiety first and then the depression followed. Do you think they're connected or just separate? Like what do people think when they're watching that with their loved ones? Well, they are definitely connected. So when I got home from my mission, I actually took an abnormal psychology class at UVU because I wanted to learn more about, you know, and mental illness and mental health and things like that. And I learned in that class that there's this term which is called comorbid. And that kind of means that they go hand in hand. And that's anxiety and depression. Usually if you have one, you have the other. And sometimes one is more prevalent than the other. Like I definitely have more of the anxiety issue. And then the depression kind of like comes and goes as I experience things. And I know some people have more of the depression and then the anxiety comes and goes. So but they usually are pretty intertwined. That girl that was so helpful, your sister. When you're considering someone is just discovering they have anxiety and depression, and you might be thinking, you're just fine because you look just fine. Like that might be what I'm thinking as a mom. You look just fine. And you've been able to do this all along. So how come all of a sudden you're not doing that or you can't do that? What would be something? And what did somebody do for you initially that you could share with us that would be like, this was so helpful to me? Because I'm sure some people did it completely wrong and some people did it good. Can you share kind of both sides of that coin with us? Yeah. Um, 
So when I was first diagnosed, I know my companion and I, we just like, we're both <laughs> dealing with this whole new challenge. And I remember one morning we were just having studies and my anxiety made me pretty irritable, which I, and I felt so bad that she had to deal with this irritable person because I, I'm not usually like that. Um, but I remember one morning we were studying and she was just like, let's go for a walk. And we just stopped, we stopped our studies and we just went for a walk outside and we didn't talk about missionary work. We just talked with each other and that, I remember that moment. I just, I needed that so much just to be, I think, connected with myself again and just feel like Allie. I needed to feel like Allie again instead of Sister Harris for a minute. Yeah, that moment was, was huge for me. And I don't know if that necessarily would be for someone else, but just I think taking a moment to just forget about it and to just try to connect with the person that you are again is a very helpful thing. And then on the reverse side, like asking those types of questions that you kind of mentioned, like, is something going on? I don't know. It's very hard because when you do ask those questions, it can, it can trigger that irritability or the, yes, like something is going on. And it's very hard to ask those questions, I think, in a non-offensive manner. It just takes, I don't know, love. Just come from a place of love, I think, and just say, hey, I am concerned about you. I've noticed like some changes that are going on. Like, is there something that I can do to help? Or is there something more going on? And just, yeah, making sure that it's coming from a place of love instead of just like, I need to fix you because I can see that something is wrong. That's good. That's awesome. And help me to understand. Can you help me understand more what I can do? So it's more of a, like, how can I support you? But I want to understand, I want to be able to see you and not feel like I'm just overlooking you and wanting to fix you. Yeah, that's perfect. You mentioned medication that that came up on your mission. And I just think the term depression or mental illness, that there's this growing learning curve or acceptance. People are becoming more accepting and honoring that mental illness is a real thing and it needs to be addressed and people need to be respected where they're at and seen as the amazing people they are, not as their mental illness. And medication, I know, what was that like for you to say, okay, the only way I think this is going to go away is to take medicine. Honestly, for me, it was very shocking. I was one of those people that totally, you know, thought like, I don't need medication to make me feel better. Like if I need medication, then something is really wrong with me. And so that's what I thought in the beginning. But my mission president's wife, she was our medical advisor. And she just kind of said like medication could be your only way to stay out here. So I had to get permission from my state president and my parents. The first one that I was prescribed with, they told me it would take six to eight weeks for it to start working, which is a long time when you're wanting to feel better. And after the eight weeks were up, I still wasn't doing any better. And so I went back to the doctor and he wanted to prescribe something that I couldn't take as a missionary. I don't really remember why. I just, they just told me that I couldn't take that while I was serving. So then I got referred to a psychiatrist and I remember going to that office and I was sitting in a room with lots of kids and people that I could tell had more obvious mental illness. Like they were, I don't know, you can just, you know, with Down syndrome or Asperger's, you can see those things a little bit more. 
not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that's like anything wrong. Uh, but just for me, I just remember sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, if I am in this room with these people, then there must be something really wrong with me. And so I went in and talked to the psychiatrist and he prescribed another medication that said I could take up to three to four weeks to start working. And that didn't work either. And so by the end of that, it was just like, I'm not getting better out here. And so I was like, I need to go. My mission president and I was like, you need to go home. And so then when I got home, my doctor prescribed a medication and that one started working for me, thank goodness, because it would have been a long road at that point. And then I also was able to start seeing a counselor and I saw him about once a week. So then I had the medication to help me feel better. And then I also started learning about the tools and things that could help me deal with this. And while I was on my mission, I think I only was able to see a counselor like once a month. So that wasn't, I mean, it was helpful when I saw him, but I needed more. And since then I have been on and off medication. I haven't wanted to be on it while I'm been pregnant and breastfeeding just because, you know, it can affect, but even if the chances are little, I just wanted to stay off of it. This last December, I had a major depressive episode, like as bad as it was on my mission. I never thought it would be as bad as it was. And so I started taking medication again and I actually had stayed on it even though I've become pregnant again um, because I just know myself at this point. And I just know right now I can't with this move and everything that's going on. It's like, I know right now I just can't handle not having it and not taking it because it does make me feel better. And so I have learned over time that there's nothing wrong with taking medication. If it makes you feel better, that's what it is supposed to do. It's just like any other illness that you take medication for, like if you have heart problems or diabetes that your body needs and it's okay. It's completely okay to take medication and to realize this is making me feel better and to just get over that stigma of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I need this to make myself feel normal again. It's not your fault and it's just your body and you need that help and it's okay. And it really, it has to do with the chemistry in your brain, serotonin levels in your brain and the things that it's supposed to be like, here's what a healthy brain's chemistry looks like. Right. Yeah, it's like there's something missing there and it's not happening, which is causing this mental illness. I shared with Allie last night, I was when you and I were talking, I just said that in my thirties, my mid thirties, I was really struggling and I thought something is so wrong with me. And it really took me to a place where I almost thought, I think I need to leave my family because I'm gonna ruin this family. And I can't get out of bed and I'm a terrible mother and I can't stop crying and, you know, those kinds of things. And I didn't even expect that it was some kind of a mental thing. I just thought something is wrong with me. Something mm -hmm. has happened to my character, <laughs> you know, but yeah. when I went to the doctor and he said, you know, I think you should get on this antidepressant. Let's try it. And within five days, I remember feeling like I was more myself than I'd been in a really long time. And I can still remember the just gratitude that I felt kneeling down and thanking God for having a pill on the earth that did something that magical for me, mm -hmm. that helped me so much. It was something where I thought, should I feel guilty? Should I feel broken if I'm taking medicine? 
Could I be embarrassed if I tell people that I take medicine so I can be normal? Uh, is that going to make them think I'm not normal or weak? You know, it took me some time before I could say, yeah, I'm depressed and I take medicine for depression, but I have family members who have much worse depression than I do with some anxiety tied to it. And it's not even the same at all what they deal with because theirs is to a level that it affects their life. And when I read your blog, I was thinking yours isn't just like theirs, but yours is to a level where it truly affects your life. I was dealing with, this is really affecting my life. But as soon as I got on some medication, I felt like, okay, I can manage this. I can totally do this. But I do think there are levels of mental illness and depression and anxiety where even with medication, you have to do so much for yourself and learn to find your peaceful place even in that storm that you have to be in. Yes, I agree. What are some of the things you've found that are just like, okay, these things, they help me to remember that this isn't all there is. Like what helps you? I think the biggest thing that helps me, and we kind of talked about this last night too, was just remembering that this is just part of my mortal experience and that it's not going to be my forever. And even though, you know, I might have this, yeah, for the rest of my life, which could be, you know, like 50 more years, which like, it just seems so daunting when I look at it like that. But um, just remembering the promise, you know, that my father in heaven has given me of one day you're going to be perfect. One day you'll be a resurrected being and you won't have to deal with this anymore. I think that is one of the biggest things that for me personally keeps me going is just remembering that, that this is just part of the temporary experience and also just being able to share things that I have learned from going through this has also helped me, I guess, find more of a peace be able to help someone else, then it's worth it. Heavenly Father gives us these experiences for our good, but also for other people's good. There's things that we go through that we'll be able to help other people when they go through them as well, and that we're here for each other, and that we're not supposed to do these kinds of things alone. And so I think remembering that, and just even having my family and being there for them is what helps me. Mm. That's so awesome. One of the things that we talk about here in, in the, our mom power training is like, think vertically. Be a vertical thinker, you know, because we tend to close that, like there's a ceiling and we're just focused on what we're experiencing. And then the adversary is using all the evidence of what we're experiencing and put emotional meaning behind to separate us from anything, remembering anything that there's something bigger than this that there, there's a plan here. I love this quote my sister reads. It says, understandably, many have expressed that our father's promised blessings are just way too far away, particularly when our lives are overflowing with challenges. But Amulek taught that this life is the time to prepare to meet God. It is not the time to receive all of our blessings. President Packer explained, and they all lived happily ever after, is never written into the second act. This line belongs in the third act. 
when the mysteries are solved and everything is put right. However, the vision of our Father's incredible promised blessings must be the central focus before our eyes every day, as well as an awareness of the multitude of His tender mercies that we experience on a daily basis. And this part is so powerful. She said, sisters, I do not know. And I can still hear her saying this because when she said this in her talk, I thought it's so good. It was so beautiful. She said, sisters, I do not know why we have the many trials that we have, but it is my personal feeling that the reward is so great, so eternal and everlasting, so joyful and beyond our understanding that in that day of reward, we may feel to say to our merciful, loving Father, was this all that was required? I believe that if we could daily remember and recognize the depth of that love our Heavenly Father and our Savior have for us, we would be willing to do anything to be back in their presence again, surrounded by their love eternally. What will it matter, dear sisters? What we suffered here if, in the end, those trials are the very things which qualify us for eternal life and exaltation in the kingdom of God with our Father and Savior. Yeah, that quote is beautiful. And I feel like that one day, yeah, I will be able to, is that all? Like, I thought, I just, I don't know. I feel peace when I hear things like that or read that, that it's like, I can do this. I can do this because one day, one day I will say, is this all? Yeah. And that just, that will be a beautiful day. There's something that you say too that I like about surviving. Why you use that term? So when I first started my blog, which is about two and a half years ago, I was trying to come up with a name for it, obviously. And I had run a few ideas past a few people. And I at first wanted to do like silently suffering souls because, you know, you hear that term a lot about people and they're silently suffering through their trials or silently, you know, experiencing things. And um, so I ran that past a friend and she was like, I think you should change it to surviving instead because that sounds more uplifting and more positive. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. I really like that because I want it to be positive and more uplifting that even though we do silently suffer through hard things sometimes, we're also surviving because when we go through, you know, infertility or divorce, and these are kind of topics that I've also shared on my blog besides mental health, or when we lose a child or other things, like you, sometimes all you can do is truly just survive and such a hard thing that you're experiencing and going through. And so, yeah, sometimes all you can do is really just survive through the trial that has been placed before you. And I, I do, I prefer that over suffer because even though it does feel like we're suffering, we're also surviving. And I want people to remember that, that you are a survivor and that you are making it through and that they're, even though this is hard, like don't, don't ever give up, like survive till the end, endure to the end because yeah, it will, it will be worth it. And there are, even though it's hard to see, I think in the moment, and obviously I've come a long way from my mission, but there are things that you're going through that will be able to bless your life and bless the lives of others. And so you are, you're a survivor when you go through those things that you, you suffer through. When I'm thinking about just surviving and having to go through things, it makes me think of, because you can't really predict with mental illness, you can't predict what the next day is going to be, right? You kind of, everybody's hoping that 
it's going to be an awesome day. And if you're someone with mental illness, you're feeling, I don't know, you don't know, but the people that are living with you are going like this too. I hope today's going to be a great day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I hope it's going to be a great day. What have you found that you do? Because when it gets really bad, what helps you just keep moving through your day? You know, I'm just going to show up. Uh, this is why I'm going to fight today. This is why I'm doing what I do today. You know, I think the biggest thing is just giving myself grace and just realizing that this is a temporary state. Like in the beginning of my pregnancies, I get really sick. And this one was especially hard. And so I feel like there was a month of time. And then when I get sick, I can't do as much. And, you know, and then my depression kind of starts to settle in a little bit. And so there was like a month where my poor girls, I think we ate breakfast in bed like every day for a month. And we watched more movies than I probably should admit. But it was because I was like, I need to be close to the bathroom in case I'm going to throw up. Or like, and I was just so exhausted. So I would take naps with them. And we did, I feel like we lived in my room for like a month. And that's okay. I just had to tell myself, it's okay. It's not going to be there forever. We'll be able to go to the park again someday. Like We'll be able to get out of the house. I need not push myself right now because that will just make it worse. And that's something that I think I've learned over time too, that it's like, I need to respect my boundaries and I need to respect the way that I am feeling. And I just need to feel the things that I'm feeling instead of push them away. And I think that takes time with mental illness to learn that as well. But just, yeah, give yourself what you need and to realize that it's okay and that it's just a temporary thing. And that one day, yeah, you will be able to feel better and you will be able to do those things that you love again. And to do it, give yourself the, the grace and the, the patience and be kind to yourself. Like just realize that it's okay and that, yep, this isn't forever. That's so good. Women have such a hard time being okay with where we're at. Yeah. The mom guilt that people talk about, it's real. And I did. I felt that it was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a horrible mother. But then it was like, no. Like, this is okay. <laughs> and I was talking to a friend about it, actually, that I was like, I feel so bad that we've eaten breakfast in my bed and done all this stuff. And she was just like, you know what, Allie, I bet they love it. She's like, I bet they love just being with you and just, like, having that time with you. And you're there with them. It's not like you have, you know, pushed them away or sent them somewhere else. She was just like, I bet that they love it. And that, I think, was also really helpful for me to just remember, yeah, like, from a perspective of these kids obviously different with like teenagers and stuff when you're going through this but for me it was just like yeah they're still little and they just love being around their mom and that's all that matters honestly so that's so good and just that thought that you mentioned about just allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling I think with something that doesn't go away that's part of your story and it's going to be there and you're not quite sure how to predict how difficult it's going to be or if it'll be one of those easier days, that has got to be such an important tool. Yeah, I I think so personally, just because I know that in the beginning when I would try to push away or like suppress the things that I was feeling, it just made it worse or they would just manifest themselves later anyway, and sometimes a lot worse. So it was like just in the moment, I just need to take time to feel the way I'm feeling and even if it's just like five minutes, like, okay, I just need to, like, sometimes I'll put my girls in the player or, you know, do something with them for a minute and just come into my room and just sit for like five minutes and just 
cry or um, be mad or whatever that I need to just feel what I'm feeling. And then I go back on with life. I think it's crucial to take those moments and just let yourself feel what you're feeling because yeah, they, they're going to come out anyway. And so I think it's better to do that obviously in a healthy way instead of just um, projecting that onto other people or um, yeah, having it come out in other ways. What have you noticed about how anxiety and depression has affected relationships in your life? I actually did an online marriage summit where I talked about how mental illness affects my marriage. And I had my husband write up a little piece that I shared. And one of the things that he actually said was, I don't know like how the days are going to be. Like He was just like, I don't know if Allie's going to wake up and feel good today or if she's not going to feel good. And so that's hard on him too because it's just an unpredictable mess in all honesty sometimes. And so they also have to learn to be, I think, flexible with you and your illness as well. And I feel like that's just where communication comes into play. That makes a big difference. And some days I feel like there are ways that, you know, he can help me. And other ways, other days it's like, no, I can handle this myself. I just need some space. But letting him know that is what is key. So, you know, like saying, hey, today I'm having a hard day. And he's usually really good about asking, okay, what can I do to help? And I'll either say, like, you can do this or this or this. Or today I just... I just wanted you to know that I'm struggling. Like, so that when you come home and the house is a disaster, like you don't ask me what happened, you know? So I just, yeah, communication is key. And some days I do, I feel like I need something. And some days I'm like, I just need you to know. So yeah, just letting, expressing those kinds of things. And like I mentioned before, it's just hard. Mental illness is just that much harder because yeah, sometimes I don't even know what I need myself. And so, but even just communicating that and just saying that, like, I'm having a hard day and I don't know what I need, but I'm trying to figure it out. And just letting them know, I think, is a big help because then, yeah, then they know. Whereas they're not just guessing or assuming or. Oh, so good. That's so good. And I think sometimes when you're thinking, well, I don't want to make them feel broken or embarrassed. You know, I don't want to make them feel like they're bothering me. Because I know, I think that most people that are struggling with any kind of behavior or mental illness or just anything that they know, this burdens people or this affects people, that the last thing they want is for it to to affect everybody. Mm -hmm. It's like part of the pain of the illness is that you know, okay, this affects people and that makes me crazy because I don't want it to affect people. Yes. Yes. I feel like that has taken me also time to kind of get over, so to speak, because I definitely felt that a lot more in the beginning than I do now, because now I just feel like this is part of my life experience. This is part of what I'm supposed to go through. And he's there experiencing it with me. The example of like having being diagnosed with cancer kind of comes to mind that it's just like that ends up being just part of your life. And you can either choose to look at it as a burden for people or you can choose to let them help you because when people are helping you, it's blessing your life, but it's also blessing theirs because they are able to serve you. And so I think just having that perspective change and just trying to look at it that way instead of being, oh, I'm such a burden and I'm 
I'm hurting the people that I love, like just saying, no, they're able to serve me and they're able to help me. And that's blessing both of us. I think having that perspective is, is also a huge game changer in, in mental illness. That's awesome. I know for me, as I've watched my loved ones and tried to think of the best way for me to behave or to manage myself while I'm supporting or assisting or whatever, so many times I, I feel bad to even say this, but so many times I've felt like so prideful or so judgmental or so self-righteous, you know, and when I really consider when I really consider where they're at, I think, ah, oh, and I'm able to meet them there. It makes all the difference when I meet them where they're at. But when I have this expectation that I don't speak, but it's there, I have this expectation I'm not speaking, and they know that I'm disappointed or bothered or something at some level about something, even if I'm not saying, it's you. I mean, I'm just yeah. kind of tired, you know? Even if I'm not saying that, if I'm able to just manage me well, I can meet them where they're at and it makes all the difference for them to feel like it's okay for you to be where you're at because it's like I'm honoring their awesome self. Mm -hmm. You know, because mm -hmm. I think that's what we forget when anybody has anything is that, oh, they're not their totally awesome self. They actually are. Yes, and I, I love that you mentioned that because life, I don't know, it does ebbs and flows. And I feel like going through this journey, I've had to come to peace with the fact that I'm not the same person that I was before my mission and before this illness. And that that's okay. Like sometimes I do, I get frustrated or mad that it's like, I get anxiety over things that I didn't used to, or I'm not as like daring or adventure seeking because now I think of all the horrible things that can happen instead. And so I, I do, I think coming to realize for yourself that this is the new me and it's okay. And then also realizing that about other people, like, because it does, it affects you and, and your core and your soul so much that coming to realize yeah where they're at now is huge and I actually had an experience with that just recently even where I had a, a friend message me on Instagram and just we had this conversation and I got really defensive about what we were talking about and then I had to take a step back and just realize this isn't about me this is about her she's going through something really hard and I'm not listening and that I just felt so bad in that moment because I was like, she's expressing to me that she's hurting and that she's in pain. And here I am like defending myself. And so that was a good teaching moment for me too, that it was like, I apologize. And I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like I love you and I care about you and I see you where you are. And I'm sorry that this is what you have to go through. And then, you know, I just like, I tried to listen to her and take it. And I think we have those experiences all the time where it's just like we are we do we want to defend ourselves and we want to make sure they see us for what we are too but it needs to be about them and it needs we need to come to their level and to like you said realize they're totally awesome still in, in the experience that they're going through 
And I think that also takes time to practice. I mean, I've been to, I've had this for a while and I just had that experience like a couple weeks ago. Um, obviously we're human and we make those mistakes, but just remembering that, yeah, we need to see people where they're at. And just, I think a huge thing also is just remembering that we just never know what people are going through. Something that I fall in the trap of doing is trying to diagnose your day because I have someone who's a minor and then someone who's an adult. person in my life that's an adult, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I kind of know how to navigate that. But because I'm like the mother and I'm thinking, okay, I think I'm just going to diagnose your day. I'm going to just, I can see kind of where you're at. I think I know exactly what you need. (laughs) Ah, that never goes well. And I don't know why I keep trying it. Because you're a mom. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what moms do. Like we, we want the best for our kids and we want them to feel better. And, and so that's, I think that's totally normal. And I wish I could tell you how to get over that because I don't even know myself. (laughs) I think, yeah, it's just, it's part of being a mom. But I think right now for me, I think it'll be harder as my kids grow up. But right now for like having little kids, their, you know, emotions change so rapidly that it's just kind of like, okay, right now you're having a fit and it's not going to last forever and we just need to get a nap and then you'll be happy again. Whereas teenagers, yeah, I... I'm at a loss there, Karen. So, but yeah, it's because you're a mom and it's okay. Like I think don't give yourself that mom guilt over overdoing that because you do. You want what's best for your kids. As long as they see that, as long as they see that you're just trying to help, that yes, they might still be grumpy teenagers. I know that I've been there. That's like even when my mom was trying to help, sometimes I was still horrible. And it's just, I think it's part of the experience. But as long as they see you're trying to help, I think is what matters. As as you care and that you love them. Right. I have noticed that if I stay in that mode, then I'm not seen as someone who they want to have help them. Yep. I mean, because I just think, okay, that's the worst thing right now is for you to try to fix this or tell me what to do or, or remind me what worked yesterday and just let me kind of be where I'm at right here and they're not going to be that cool today what i've noticed over time is just allowing them to just navigate so much of that and just watching it and thinking you know the whole time don't say anything even though you want to say so much don't say anything and just support whatever they're doing as they've gotten used to i think you've said it you taught me today is as they've gotten used to getting this is kind of my new normal and I maybe don't have the emotional maturity to deal with this. I don't really know how to be awesome because I think I should be, but I'm noticing I can't be. But what I'm noticing now is maybe it's her brain developing or something, but she just is getting more to a place of taking more responsibility for her own stuff, like what she does every day. And noticing I have to do that on purpose. And some days she does really good and some days she does really bad. But but she's doing so much more herself than she did before. But I think it's because, yeah, she just got used to, if I just let this be what it is, it's miserable. 
Yeah, well, and I think it's awesome that you've noticed that. But it, I think one of the biggest things, mental illness, is yeah, it just, just time and just learning what does work for you, what doesn't work for you, and what you do need or what you don't need. And that even changes from day to day. Like you said, what worked yesterday may not work today. And so remembering that is also hard and frustrating, but I think it just, it takes time and you are learning with them as they go through this, which is hard. I think, I honestly think it's harder to watch someone go through this versus going through it yourself. (laughs) I don't know. I would just much rather be the one going through it than watching someone just experiencing that from the outside would just be a whole different ball game. But you're doing a great job, Karen. I do think that it is a great learning experience for both parties. Yes. And like you said, there's purpose in it. There's so much purpose in it if we'll allow it. You've had such great points about just allowing it to be what it is and being okay with what it is and then learning to just live around that. But what I wanted to ask you, Allie, I know that with depression and anxiety, it really affects people's ability to fill the spirit. And I just wondered what you've noticed about that. It does. It definitely affects the spirit. I think, especially in the beginning when I was um, still on my mission, there was my last transfer before I went home. I, I don't know if it was the medication, because I know some of the medication is supposed to numb you and numb the experiences that you go through, but you obviously don't want it to do that too much. So I don't know if it was medication and illness or all of the combined, but I just remember there were days that I would wake up um, and I would just not care. I honestly had like no care in the world. I knew that there were people out there waiting for me to take the gospel to them. I knew my companion needed me to get out of bed so that we could go do that. I knew that my savior was relying on me to share his good news, but I didn't care. Honestly, like I just, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't, I knew in the back of my mind, all of those things, but feeling them was just a whole different thing. And yeah, there was, it was, it was just this period of time where I did, I didn't feel like anything. And it was temporary, thank goodness, but it was just hard. And I, I still feel bad for my companion and for those moments because I knew the expectations that were placed on me, but I just couldn't, I couldn't feel them. And it was hard and frustrating, but it was just part of the experience that I needed to go through, I think. Something that I've, to think about I guess since then and going through those little moments is just remembering that there was a time you know where our savior was completely abandoned as well and so even though I don't know what that feels like entirely I I feel like I've gotten a little glimpse of it and to to see how hard and kind of horrible that is and to just appreciate the times that I do feel the spirit and try to remember those times when I am having hard times. It's like, I have felt it before. I know what it feels like. Like, this isn't going to be forever. And just clinging to that and just trying to get through. Or just, I think, being in the darkness, it's very crucial 
for us to seek the light when we're in the darkness. And it's really hard to do that when you don't feel anything. Try to read your scriptures, which, and I know it's, it's not fun for people to ask you that when you're going through mental illness, like, are you reading? Are you praying? Are you going to church? Are you doing all those things that you're supposed to be? And it's like, yes, I am. And I'm still not feeling the spirit, but don't give up. Don't stop doing them just because you're not like pins in the background. Keep reading your scriptures. Just tell your heavenly father, even if you don't feel him, tell him how you're feeling. Um, even if you don't feel like you're getting a response, I think just keeping that communication with him and just letting it out or just writing it down, but definitely trying to seek for light, even when you're going through darkness, I think makes a big difference and to just keep going. Don't ever, just don't ever stop. Even if you're not feeling things, just keep doing it because one day it will come back. And then just one more thing I wanted to ask you is in that darkness, especially when we're thinking, you know, I need, I need help. And I think the only person that can really help me is God. And I think that the adversary, Satan, he knows that wherever you're at, I'm going to take advantage of that weakness you have. And I'm going to try to use that to separate you from God so that your belief or your testimony or your faith diminishes. Just what have you noticed about that? So um, definitely when I came home and I was first dealing with this kind of stuff, like I did, I stopped praying. I stopped reading my scriptures. I continued to go to church, but I was just, I was mad at God. I really was because I had wanted to serve a mission since I was a little girl. Like it was something that I always wanted to do. And so I had the desire and I waited. It was back before the age changed. So I waited till I was 21 so that I could go. And then all of this happened. And I was just like, why, Heavenly Father, why would you put this desire in me to just like take it away? At least that's how I looked at it. It was like he was taking this away from me instead of, you know, realizing that it was a blessing in disguise. But I was so mad when I came home. And I definitely think that, yeah, Satan uses that to his advantage. Like, because I did, I stopped reading, I stopped praying, I stopped doing the things that I had been diligently doing as a missionary. And I just was mad at, you know, the world, honestly. Like, I, and I think I needed to go through those feelings, obviously, but I could have done that while continuing to stay close to my Savior and my Heavenly Father. And if Eventually, like I started doing all those things again, but I can totally see how Satan uses that, and that's how people fall away because they do. They get those questions asked by people, like, "Are you still reading? Are you still praying? Are you still doing what you're supposed to do?" You know, and it's like, "Yes, I am," but it's still not working, and so why should I keep doing it? And so I think then they stop, and he uses that to his advantage. It is. It's a mind. It's a mind game, and it's hard. And he doesn't necessarily know our thoughts, but he knows what we're going through, you know, even though there are things like with anxiety, I know something in my mind, but it still doesn't work. Like it still doesn't click, which is a frustrating part of it. And so I think he also uses that to his advantage. It's like, I can just kind of keep sticking this thought in there, even though, you know, the right thing or that this is the logical part of it, I'm going to keep sticking it there so that you are confused or so that you don't keep doing the right thing. I, I hope this is making sense. I feel like I'm not being very articulate, but he, yeah, he's very good at, at using this to his advantage. 
And I think social media is playing a bigger part in it as well and comparing ourselves to others and all of that stuff. And yes, he's, he's good at what he does, which is unfortunate, but um, we just have to be aware of that, I think. And just realizing that he is playing a part in this and that it does come from him and not from Heavenly Father is a big part of that as well. Ah, thank you so much, Allie. You have such a great gift for sharing in the spirit. Thank you for that. Sisters, what are some things that came up for you while we were talking and while Allie was sharing? What are some things that came up for you or questions you might have or things you'd like to share? Looking back, were there any signs before your mission about the depression or anxiety that you just didn't recognize at the time? But I would say yes. My mom always called me a little worrier. <laughs> I was definitely one of those kids that worried and stressed about lots of things. And even like in school, if I had to like read a part, I would always read it ahead of time to make sure I didn't like mess up words or anything like that. And so looking back, I definitely had more of the anxiety. It just was never like full blown, obviously. So there were little things that I can look back and see that I had, you know, maybe like little symptoms. It would not have been enough to diagnose me completely. Yeah, looking back now after knowing what I know, there are little things I can see in my life that I guess could hint to it being manifest later on. Okay, thanks. And then um, there's another comment from a mom who says, thank you very much. She says, it's obvious you've been able to bless many because of your struggle. May God continue to bless you in your good days and challenging ones. And her question for you is, since you've been home from your mission, the church has published a book called Adjusting to Missionary Life. Have you seen it? And if so, do you feel it would have helped you in some way? Yes, I actually have seen that. And it actually was available to me as a missionary, but I don't think they didn't stress it very much when I was out. I know that I got it in the NTC with all of my other books, and I actually have read through it. And I think even people who don't go on a mission should read it because it could be just take out the missionary part and adjusting to life in all seriousness because it goes through and it talks about the different stressors and things that you go through and just trying to recognize those and so yes I think that is a wonderful resource and I think that everybody should read it especially missionaries and I think that the church and I think mission presidents are trained on it more than they were when I was out and so I hope that they're using that yeah as a resource while they're out serving because it teaches you how to see something one way but then change it into a different way I wish I had it with me so that I could pull up like an example but yes go through it and and read it because yet it is a wonderful resource and I think it can help help so many missionaries and just even people in general yeah and you know that reminds me too I didn't mention your mission fortify can you tell us a little bit about that Yes. So a little over a year ago, I went to an earlier turn missionary conference that was put on by Mission Fortify. And it was just nice to be in a room full of like my people, so to speak, that just kind of understood what I had gone through. Like we didn't have to say anything to each other, but we knew we all went through the same thing. And so then after the conference, I met Zach, who is the president of Mission Fortify, and I just like said, thank you so much for putting this on. Like, this is amazing. I wish I would have had this more when I came home. And then I emailed him asking, like, what more I could do. And he asked me if I would become a board member, which I was thrilled to do because it was like, oh, this is another way I could help 
I have a special place in my heart for early return missionaries, obviously. So it is a nonprofit organization that is focused on helping more so early return missionaries, but also pre and post missionaries as well. We haven't had too much interest in another ERM conference, but if that happens again, like we're, I don't know, we would put one on. We're just kind of filling things out right now. Um, I met with the board a couple months ago, and yeah, we just have talked about like how we can still help. But mostly what's going on right now is that people come home from their mission and they need like a little bit of help and then they move on, which is good. It's good that they move on instead of like keep harboring those feelings, which I feel like I did for so long. But yeah, it's there. The missionfortify.org is the website and there's stories of earlier return missionaries that you can read. There's other resources. There have been earlier return missionary groups, but those have kind of fluctuated in numbers as well. So if you have questions or anything that you would like to learn more about, you can also email Zach, who is the president at info at missionfortify.org. I think it just mostly helps people to know that it exists, that the church is aware of, of the organization and what they're doing. I noticed someone asked a question. Do you mind if I actually answer that question? Is that okay? Read it really clearly. So she said, how does your husband cope and move forward with happiness when he sees you in your suffering and survival? How have you worked together through this challenge? And I think my husband is very good at keeping this like separate from him. I can help her, but I also need to yeah, focus on things that I want to do as well, which, you know, he still moved forward with being a doctor and doing that. And like I said, communication, I think, is just the biggest thing because I have expressed concerns to him about, like, moving, about him being gone all the time as he's going to be a doctor and, like, how that's going to affect me. And so just having those conversations and just reminding him, I think, over and over because sometimes he does forget and it's totally fine and it's normal and he's human, obviously, but just continually having those conversations and just letting him know how it affects me, but then realizing that, yes, you can't let the illness like drag you down to that you still need to find your happiness and you still need to keep it separate but together it's hard it's a fine line it's a very fine line um I think if you watch that yeah video that I did it will help answer those questions or answer that a little bit more and how we've worked through this but honestly communication is the biggest thing and also just being their safe place being the person that they can go to when they're having a hard time or when they're having a panic attack with no questions asked, just doing what they need in that moment and being, being that safe person that they can go to. People, is there any more? Oh yes, Debbie, thank you. There is a wonderful article in the April Ensign called Living in Grace and Gratitude about a woman whose husband is a doctor and how she deals with that pressure as a wife who struggles with depression that I think is just, is just wonderful. But then I also, I noticed that Allie said, Allie, when you returned from your mission, you were able to see a counselor every week and that that was very helpful in terms of giving you some tools for your arsenal. And I just wondered if you might be able to elaborate on what some of those tools were that helped you as you returned from your mission that the counselor helped you with? First of all, one of the biggest things I think that helped me was him just telling me that I, that I wasn't a failure 
because I think so many earlier trend missionaries and just even people that deal with this, they feel like they're failing because they, you know, it's all new and it's just a struggle and it's hard to deal with while you're trying to still be a normal person. So that was huge for me, but also then him teaching me what is called cognitive therapy. Like an example that I'll give is he would teach me that when I had like a anxious thought or like a negative thought or something, he would say, okay, what's the worst that would happen? I hate flying. Flying makes me so anxious and nervous. And so instead of like focusing on that, I was like, okay, what's the worst that could happen? Well, yes, I could die on an airplane, but then I would be dead and all would be over and it's okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. So just breaking, breaking it down, those anxious thoughts that you have and just say, okay, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst? And just realizing that it's really not as bad as my mind builds it up to be. So that was one of the tools that he, he gave me. But cognitive therapy, I think if you like Google that and search it, there will be tons of things that come up. And also more recently, my counselor didn't talk about this because I think it's more of a recent thing and I'm sure you've heard this word, but mindfulness is also a big thing that's come out as well. So if you search for mindfulness, Zach, um, who's the president of Mission Fortify, he, I talked to him about this a little bit actually. And um, it just teaches you to live more in the present. So like one thing that you can do when like, say you're having a panic attack or something is just notice the things around you. Use all of your senses. Like, okay, focus on the things that you're hearing. Focus on the things that you're seeing. Like, can you have any smells? What do things taste like? And that just brings you more to the present and, and makes you focus on other things instead of, like, the panic that's going on. So those are a few things. But, yeah, if you search, like, cognitive therapy or mindfulness, there, I'm sure, will be tons of, of resources. And I don't know if you have heard of Tiffany Rowe. Hey, Tiffany Rowe, I think, is her Instagram handle. She also is an amazing resource. She is a therapist and she talks about anxiety and depression and eating disorders and all kinds of things. And she has trainings that she's done and you can buy like online courses that she has done to also help with that kind of stuff. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else really quick before you need to run? Something they'd like to say, bring up, share, ask? I'm not sure how to explain but my daughter went on a mission she stayed the whole time but I'm not sure how she stayed I'm really surprised so she has come home and had some major things happen but she's now married and just had her second baby and I've been there a lot with her her husband's wonderful he's really really good but she relies on me a lot when he's at work or when she needs something so sometimes I have a lot of different emotions Sometimes I am, well, I do want to help. Sometimes I feel like I'm not sure how much to do. I've learned that I need to let her ask, and that's been a good thing for me to know. I try to not say, can I help? Well, I don't know. Sometimes I tell her I, I'm willing to help or that I'm available, but most of the time I wait for her. But sometimes I wonder if I'm keeping her from relying on other people, like people in her ward, and maybe someone else that could be, a help because she's afraid to ask other people. It takes her a long time to trust. So I guess I wanted to know what you, if you have any guidelines or any thoughts about that. So I actually, in the same way, my mom is definitely my go-to and has been since I came home. And especially with my kids, like if I'm having a hard day, I'm like, mom, I'm having a hard day. Can you take them? Because, you know, grandma loves my kids. So I 
and maybe I'm not the right person to ask because I personally don't think there's anything really wrong with that because I think it's just good that she's asking for help in general because I think that is one thing that people struggle with is just asking for help and so that she's going to you I think is a good thing and maybe she just needs more time to be comfortable with asking other people because it can still feel like a burden. Like it's easy to go to mom because she loves you and she knows you and you know, she's grandma to your kids and going to other people can be something that definitely takes time, I would say. But yeah, I think letting her know that you're there for her, that is also wonderful because sometimes even, yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm burdening my mom sometimes, which is ridiculous, but I think that's great that, yeah, you let her know, but then it's a balance. It's a hard balance. And so, you know, my heart goes out to you because it's, it's trying to like, like let her know that you do want to help, but then letting her figure out like on her own when she does need that help. So I would say just keep doing what you're doing and just, yeah, be there for her because it is hard. And uh, yeah, finding other people, is, it does, it takes time because I, Obviously, now that I'm away from my family, I think I'm going to have to be forced to do that a little bit more. But my mom was, she lived five minutes away from me the past two years. And so I would always just go for, to her for help. So I think that's great that you, you can do that for her because, because we do, we need that person. So I think that that's good that you're that for her. So just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Thank you. That does help. Yeah. Thanks so much. Oh, well, our time is up. I just think it takes so much courage, you know, for you as the person that's going through something and the people that are supporting and loving. It just takes a lot of courage and understanding. But, oh, thank you so much, Allie, for your help today, for sharing your experience with us and being vulnerable and full of the spirit. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do so. And thank you for all the amazing things that you are doing. It's wonderful. Thanks so much. All right. Well, we will be in touch with you because we like you. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks, Allie. Thank you. Here.